0: Hello, this is Aaron and welcome back to the podcast. We're coming up on the end of February. In fact, this is the last day of February. And so it's the last day of our sponsorship for the month by Gold River Trading Company Tea. Gold River is the official tea of the American frontier. They have great green tea, black tea, they've got herbal teas. There's a lot of great stuff on the website. Check it out, goldriverco.com. That's goldriverco.com and use discount code REN10, that's renn N -N one zero for 10% off your order. It's quality tea that's not cringe by people who share your values. And so if you're a tea drinker, I would highly encourage you to check it out. So thank you for that. On the newsletter a few weeks ago, I put up a post called, I think, Welcome to the Descending World. And the idea is we're used to thinking about the world in terms of the first world versus the third world or the developed world versus the developing world. But what we're seeing today is trends in which our advanced world is in many ways in a state of decay, while many of the developing world nations are actually on the rise. And this was prompted by a photograph juxtaposing that Union Pacific rail line in Los Angeles strewn with looted packages that had come off of containers on the train, comparing that against a pristine new subway system in India, the kinds of subway systems that we're incapable of building here today. And it says something about what is going on in our society when we do see this state of decay around us. And so today, I want to take that a step further and talk about the third worldization of America. The idea that we're not just descending, but increasingly characteristics of our country seem like those of the third world in some important ways you may not have thought about. And it seems a little ludicrous to be sitting here on an Internet stream talking about third worldization when we can go outside and see our highly advanced, technologically sophisticated and in many ways prosperous society, you know, is doing so well. And yes, we have homelessness. Yes, we have this. Yes, we have that. But third world, that seems crazy. But bear with me for a minute. Bear with me for a minute. Think about one of the stereotypes of the third world. Think about what comes to your mind when you think of a third world country. What are the characteristics of the third world? To me, one of the biggest is unreliable electricity that third world countries that you either can't get electricity, you only have electricity for so many hours a day, or the lights just go out at random times for no reason. This idea of lack of electric power being associated with backwardness it's kind of third world conditions is a very common and very powerful image that we see. For example, you've probably all seen the famous satellite photos of the Korean Peninsula at night, in which South Korea and China and all these places around are illuminated. But North Korea is in the dark. And in fact, for those of you who are on YouTube, I just threw a picture of that up on the screen. You can see North Korea at night completely, almost completely in the dark and say, wow, that tells us something profound about the conditions that prevail in North Korea. Even here domestically, think back to the famous blackout in New York City in the 1970s. That blackout was considered so emblematic of the state of decay that prevailed in New York and America's cities at that time. It seemed very symbolic. And in fact, it's still something that is talked about in New York today. Anytime the power goes out at all, it's like, oh my gosh, another blackout. It's something that's very important. And I think the key here is, We now experience, right here in the United States, increasingly unreliable power supplies. So we think back, uh, California, not that long ago, could happen this year in California again. All of these rolling blackouts happening in California because of fires or the threat of fires in Pacific Gas and Electric's network. Bass tracks of suburban San Francisco having their power shut off sometimes potentially for days, because they can't keep the lights on. They can't keep the power distributed without burning the state down. Or think about last winter when Texas grid, which was not insulated against the cold a winter storm happened, outages hit people for days in Texas. And this is not just an annoyance. This is not just, oh, it's terrible to be without power for days. Hundreds of people died in Texas due to this power outage. And I highlight both California and Texas to show that this is not just a red state thing or a blue state thing. This really is a United States thing. And it's very easy to look at these anecdotes and say, Aaron, you're just cherry picking the disasters. And that's not necessarily reflective of the system. But I actually have some data to share with you. Last weekend, maybe two weekends ago, the Wall Street Journal's weekend edition on the exchange section, the cover story was about power. And there was also a a companion story. It was called America's Power Grid is Increasingly Unreliable. And they provided some statistics that show what has been happening in our grid. I just want to read an excerpt from that. And I will throw links in the show notes. The Wall Street Journal is subscriber only. Sometimes they let you through the paywall. I can't... uh, tell if you'll get through or not. You can try it, uh, but I'll throw links to these stories in the show notes. But here's what they said, quote, the U.S. electrical system is becoming less dependable. The problem is likely to get worse before it gets better. Large sustained outages have occurred with increasing frequency in the U.S. over the past two decades, according to a Wall Street Journal review of federal data. In 2000, there were fewer than two dozen major disruptions, the data shows. In 2020, the number surpassed 180. Utility customers, on average, experienced just over eight hours of power interruption in 2020, more than double the amount in 2013 when the government began tracking outage lengths. The data doesn't include 2021, but those numbers are certain to follow the trend after a freak freeze in Texas, a major hurricane in New Orleans, Wildfires in California and a heat wave in the Pacific Northwest left millions in the dark for days, unquote. Later in this, they talk not just about reliability, but about the pending shortfalls of power generation, quote, Within the footprint of the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, or MISO, which oversees a large regional grid spanning from Louisiana to Manitoba, Canada, coal and gas-fired power plants supplying more than 13 gigawatts of power are expected to close by 2024 as a result of economic pressures, as well as efforts by some utilities to shift more quickly to renewables to address climate change. Meanwhile, only 8 gigawatts of replacement supplies are under development in the area. Unless more is done to close the gap, MISO could see a capacity shortfall." This is actually the grid operator where I live. this MISO, or MISO, or however you pronounce it. They're actually based here in Indianapolis. So we have power shortages, and we have power outages. And in that article, they also talk about New York City and the potential that if there's a heat wave in New York City, New York could experience power shortfalls uh, this summer. So what we see, objectively more outages and quantitative power shortfalls facing the country. This is not just anecdotes. This is not just something that we're noticing because of social media or cable news. This is something that's really happening in America. A companion piece talks about how people are responding to it. And this was about how people are installing generators. It's called wary of being left in the dark. Americans produce their own power. And I will also read some quotes from this, because this is a powerful piece. Quote, 20 years ago, only 0.57% of U.S. homes worth $150,000 or more had installed backup generators, mainly along hurricane-prone coastlines, according to backup power provider Generac Holdings, Inc. Now the number is 5.75%, a tenfold increase. Manufacturers delivered more than 143,000 generators last year in North America, up from 138,778 in 2015, despite pandemic related supply chain log jams. Microgrids, which can create islands of power for campuses, businesses, or neighborhoods amid a blackout, grew more than sevenfold between 2010 and 2019, according to the industry energy group Edison Electric Institute. Many entrepreneurs now consider secondary power systems to be a necessary cost of doing business. Steve Peterson, who owns Hungry Howie's Pizza franchises in Michigan, learned their value in 2003 when a massive blackout knocked out of power to much of the Midwest and Northeast. Mr. Peterson had invested in backup generation and he said he had lines of people who wanted a hot meal stretching 200 to 300 feet out the door. Since then, he has grown from about four locations to 15 in Michigan, all with backup power. New systems cost around $25,000 per location, he said, but help avoid the seven to eight power outages each year that would otherwise cause him to throw out food. You can sleep at night, he said. And again, um, that's something, I will throw a link to that online. And this idea of people installing generators, Other than in specific applications like data centers where you really had to have truly uninterrupted power, it was almost unheard of to have generator backup uh, in ordinary businesses or ordinary homes. But that is radically increasing. I mean, we have had a 10X increase in people who have generators in their home. And I know people who've done this personally. My dad installed a generator at his house. And it it is very profound because there is perhaps nothing more third world than people installing backup power systems because they can't be confident that the lights are gonna stay on. And and this idea that now five, 6% of people are doing it, that's crazy. Again, we don't have massive power outages every day. Um, You know, we're not yet like in conditions that might prevail in some of these genuine third world countries. But unreliable power and the installation of backup power systems by ordinary users are clear attributes of what we we, we see in developing world countries. And we're now seeing them in the United States because people are increasingly losing confidence in the power grid. And I tweeted this out earlier this week when the, uh, you know, when the articles came and lots of people were talking about this. I didn't get a lot of pushback on this idea that, you know, the power is unreliable and people are installing generators. Multiple people said, yeah, uh, we are installing generators. You know, even this NPR uh, reporter in Rhode Island, he's like, yeah, during our last power outage we just had, which lasted for days, I heard generators going all over the place. And so you, you have these outages, and people respond by installing generators, and that is the drip, 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 decline in the functionality of our society. I think the issue here is not just that we've run into a problem with electricity reliability. It's not just that we have a shortfall of power. It's that, as with in so many aspects of our society, we don't seem capable of actually doing anything about it. Every time we have one of these power outages, do we actually take real action to do something? We haven't done so to date. Texas Monthly did a huge article in their February edition. Again, I will throw a link in the show notes, basically looking back at a power outage there a year later and says what has been done? And the answer is basically nothing. They've done virtually nothing. They've passed some basically toothless regulation. And again, people died, not just one or two people, hundreds of people died in this power outage. And yet the legislature and the governor haven't done anything about it. And Texas has essentially a self-contained power grid. It's not connected to the national power grids that exist in the eastern and western United States because they wanted to keep it under state regulation and not have federal oversight on it. So this is a grid that they own and control. And this shows, again, it's not just about blue states here. People, a lot of conservatives, like to blame blue states. They can't solve homelessness. They can't solve crime. I'm here to tell you red states can't govern either. They don't govern. Why? Well, in the case of Texas, what we see is that they're totally owned and controlled by special interest groups, which is very common in red states. And I always say, whenever you hear a red state legislator talk about limited government, you can be sure that uh, he's about to have a giveaway to one of his donors or one of these special interest groups. Oh, we couldn't possibly regulate the electric utilities because that would be big government. That would be bad. We have to have low regulation. But, of course, these utilities are big players in basically every state, not just red states. Red states and blue states frequently have corruption scandals involving utilities because they're such powerful players. And again, I don't totally object to a little bit of grift if, you know, it keeps the reels of the system functioning and we have functional government as a result. Like people say, you don't want to see the sausage being made in the legislature. But the problem is we have, the power's not even on, the lights aren't on, and these guys aren't doing anything in part because they're, again, owned and controlled by special interest groups. So, I'm not going to pretend to know every single factor that's going into our electricity system here, but I want to I go through some things that have happened and which inhibit us from being able to take action. Number one is special interest groups. These utilities are very powerful in places like Texas, and they don't want laws that require them to winterize their facilities. They don't want to pay for it. They don't want to do it. Number two, we've had dramatic Complexification of our electrical system and many aspects of our life. So, I quoted earlier this grid operator, these regional grid operators, these weren't created that long ago. The idea is to move away from the old school vertically integrated model where each utility has its own generating plants and is responsible for its own power and goes through you know, a traditional regulated process to be more market oriented. We're going to have power generators, power distributors, we're gonna be able to buy and sell power across the grid, you know, the price mechanism, the markets will ensure that all functions well. Well, that's the theory, but as with many things that economists like to tell us, it hasn't necessarily worked out that way. And if you think back about Enron, for those of you who are old enough to remember Enron, they were able to exploit all these rules to essentially print money at California's expense. And whatever the virtues of these things may be, it has introduced tremendous complexity into the system today uh, that makes it harder to be more reliable. Complexity uh, often is a recipe for less reliability. You know, and I've, I've been a critic of these smart grids. They keep talking about smart meters, smart grid. I'm like, man, that just introduces the possibility of hacking and state actors shutting down our electric grid. Right now, There's Russia's invaded Ukraine. We're talking about potential for cyber warfare, cyber retaliation. All this uh, computer controlled infrastructure makes it very simple for someone to take down our electric grid. When you have a dumb grid, it's a lot harder to do that. I'm an advocate for the dumb grid uh, in a lot of ways uh, because it's more reliable. It's more reliable. So we have a much more complex system today. Three, we've got green advocates killing off power supplies. So fundamentally, There's a group of people who think climate change trumps all, and as a result of climate change, we must shut down all these power plants, inhibit new power plant construction, and they're even going after nuclear. One of the reasons New York has a potential shortfall of power is because they shut down Indian Point, this large nuclear plant that supplied a lot of their power. So we actually did have green energy with nuclear. They don't like nuclear. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to put all of the uh, blame on them like a lot of people do, but undoubtedly— We have tremendous hostility by a very powerful groups of people who do not like highly reliable power systems like traditional power plants you know including nuclear and they prefer instead highly intermittent uh, renewable sources such as solar and wind and these solars and these sources by the way are one of the sources of the complexity in our system when you have these uh, types of power that aren't reliable You have to have grids that are designed to, you know, distribute the power in new ways and and manage these loads and all of that. But that's where we are. I would say green definitely has uh, an impact, and I wouldn't go and put too much blame on them. Fourth is consumer groups. As long as I've been alive, every state has had some type of powerful consumer lobby that has opposed every major investment that utilities have wanted to make. When I lived in Illinois, it was the Citizens Utility Board. So you would have a a utility that would go to the state and say, we want to raise rates in order to invest this many billion dollars in new transmission lines or whatever. And invariably, some consumer group says, no, we don't want to do that. And this is maybe a legacy of the way utilities used to work. They were regulated. They earned a fixed rate of return on their capital investments. And so they had the incentive to want to invest in capital because that increased their rate base, which meant they could make more profits. The consumer groups pushed back against that. And there's some, again, health in having a consumer groups that are looking out for the consumer's bills. But the net result has been there's been a tremendous inhibition of the ability to invest in our power systems, which many of them, the power plants, the distribution systems, the power lines were built decades ago. And we have just been sweating the assets and not investing. And consumer cheap mindset that the American consumer has that we have to take responsibility for that. If it's 50 cents cheaper, we're happy to send all of our manufacturing to China to get that deal. Americans are very short-term focused. They're very price dominant in terms of how they think about things. And one of the costs of that has been Uh, an unreliable electricity system because we have not been making the investments to keep it up to date. So that's fourth. Fifth, uh, NIMBYs. NIMBYs, who are apart from the consumer groups and apart from the big green lobbies, people just don't want power lines running through their backyard. I don't blame them. People don't want pipelines running through their backyard. I don't blame them. But because of the rise of citizen voice since, say, 1970, all of these groups have powerful ability to derail projects because they don't they don't want that. So, again, it's not all bad. Prior to this, uh, we had state highway departments that just plowed freeways right through the middle of the cities, and they didn't care uh, how many people they displaced, etc. In fact, a lot of the origins of citizen voice and the ability of sort of grassroots activists to derail these projects comes out of the freeway revolts that they wanted to plow freeways right through lower Manhattan, right through San Francisco, the kind of things you had to be like, what were they thinking? They were also just going in and demolishing neighborhoods and building huge public housing projects. And so there was no public input. So we said, well, there has to be public input. There has to be consideration of environmental impacts. But as a result, we have massively empowered people who want to oppose things. And there are now veto points everywhere in the system. And there's an array of laws that they can use to uh, undermine and you know uh, litigate against anything anybody wants to does, and so that's massive amounts of sand in the gears. And again, there may be other factors, uh, but these are some. You know, we have the special interest, we have the complexification, we have the green lobby, we have the consumer lobby, we have you know just the nimby's. All this stuff comes together, and it's just very hard to do things in our society. And uh, and again, I would just say on top of that, our leadership's bad in a whole lot of ways. We have leadership that's not very good, you know, and that that partially manifests itself in that how cheaply these legislators and things can all be bought off by these special interest groups. And in that result, at the end of the day is not just on electricity, but on a whole range of issues, we seem to be unable to muster a coherent societal response to the problem. We can't fix our transit systems. We can't deal with homelessness issues. Now we can't even necessarily keep the lights on. We're having degraded reliability, loss of capacity in our electrical system. Even when you have major incidents in which hundreds of people die, people don't step up. And that's reality. And so that is what we are experiencing. It is, in essence, third-worldization at some level. What is another characteristic of third-world countries? Bad governance. And we increasingly have bad governance here as well. Again, I don't think we've gone off a cliff by any means, you know, our electric systems are still by and large, reliable. But this is telling us something. This is telling us something. And we should be very aware of this and be thinking about how can we restore some type of competent, functional governance in our society, so that we can look at some of these big systemic issues, like power reliability, And yes, take into account all of these things around the environment, et cetera, and develop a coherent response that gives us the electrical supplies that we need in a way that's very reliable and with predictable pricing to the customer. We need to do that. But in the meantime, maybe think about buying a generator because that's where our society is going. So anyhow, I will put links to these in the show notes. And you can try to catch out these articles. Again, the uh, the journal's subscriber only, but hopefully they'll let you through the paywall, which they often do. Until next week, I'll talk to you later.